so we've got two things working against us, our own masculine male dense nature, and then also a culture that feeds to us that accessing our hearts is not safe. It's not acceptable. Um, it has no place. Was there a point where you like turned on your own heart, turned against your own heart? Absolutely. I spent, I spent probably a good 30 years plus uh, turned against wow. myself. I was, I was, I was my own enemy. I was my own worst enemy. Hello and welcome to the Sacred Remembering Podcast, the place for modern women who are waking up to the truth of who they are, with me as your host, Sarah Poet. Now, if the word sacred is throwing you a little bit, that's okay. Have you had that moment as a modern woman where you went, wait, I left something of myself back there along the way? Well, if so, then you're already on a path of sacred remembering and you're actually in the right place. We know that modern women are rising, but we don't do it by fighting. We do it by remembering who we are and standing in that truth. And here in this space, we remember together through stories and tools and curiosity. And in doing so, we bring forward the place of women in our modern world. Now let's begin. Hey, welcome listeners. I am so glad that you are here. I am so excited. I'm here today with my first male guest. That's right. Joe Keish is someone that I've grown to trust to speak openly and honestly about the full spectrum of life's experiences. And I'm really deeply grateful that he was willing to be here and to traverse such an intimate and vulnerable topic with me. We're talking about men, mothers, emotions. It's, um, it's rich and it's deep. And a lot of the conversation that we have today is really necessary, in my opinion, that we, that we bring to consciousness in the modern world. And I really began to recognize Joe on social media last year for his ability to speak to the hearts of both men and women and to articulate common misunderstandings in relationship and coaching others toward conscious union. In fact, Joe and I really even use some of the same wording in our coaching vocabulary. So I just really had to meet this guy. And we scheduled a time to talk. And during our initial conversation, some things that Joe shared about his relationship to his mother prompted me to ask him if he would be willing to share here and to be the first male guest. And lucky us, he said yes. So in the podcast episode, we cover a variety of really important topics revolving around men, emotions and mothers, from raising boys to single parenting, to the hearts of boys and men, to relationships. We get real and personal. And this is an example of a conversation between the genders that acknowledges those areas that are perhaps the most vulnerable, but that we really need to have, that we need to bring to consciousness. And I'm really not being cute when I say that this truly is an interview for everyone to listen to, men, women, parents, divorcees, single mothers, raising boys, like everyone. Um, And if this is your first listen to the sacred Remembering Podcast, I want to say welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. 
Um, for everyone, you know, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. I know that everyone says that, but it's actually really helpful to see your engagement, especially as we uh, break out into this kind of conversation today. So I'd love to know what you think about it. Um, and also a reminder that I'm calling for 100 supporters through Patreon in the month of May for the podcast. So if you like today's conversation and you're interested in more conversations like this, you like the depth and you really want to support these areas where we can go deep like this, please pledge your donation of as little uh, as like $5 a month. That's fine. Because while that's not really that much money at all out of your monthly budget, it is energy toward the sacred remembering movement and toward the sharing of deep and personal stories, which is what we always do here. It's always meaningful. So please contribute your energy there. Um, It truly counts. And you can find that on patreon.com slash Sarah poet. All of the month of May is about the mother and mothers on the sacred remembering podcast. So be sure to come back and check out interviews on other truthy topics like autism and raising children with autism differently. Uh, We'll also talk about loss, as hard as that is. Um, We'll talk about honoring the archetypal and actual mother, uh, raising boys into men, and more. And let me introduce Joe. Joe Keish is a veteran of the United States Navy with interests that range from playing guitar to cooking to travel. He has an active national certification for therapeutic massage and bodywork and also has 11 years experience in aviation electronics, computers, and simulation. Love that mix. But his truest passion lies in accelerating conscious awakening in those who desire to live with more freedom in their connection to themselves and in their relationships. And he coaches individuals and couples to that end. With 20 years experience in personal development and over 10 years of devotion to the study of what makes relationships work, he is very committed to the results with his clients. Drawing from a wealth of personal experience and highly respected professional training and resources, Joe has the ability to tune into your needs with precision and offer you tools to effectively open to a new experience of relating to yourself and those you love in a way that, simply put, feels more naturally exquisite. Hi, Joe. Welcome to the Sacred Remembering Podcast. Hi. Uh, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. This is the first male voice I'm hearing on the other end of a recording. I'm really excited. You're our first male guest. I'm I'm excited too. Ah, So thank you so much for being here. This conversation was sort of born, the idea was born out of a casual conversation that you and I had. I was seeing your posts on Facebook and they were very devotional toward the feminine and just very conscious around relationships. And I said, Hey, Joe, do you, do you want to meet? Do you want to have a conversation? And so we had that conversation that led to my ask about this podcast. And the reason was that we had 
spoken about your relationship with your mother. And in the month of May, I'm devoting the Sacred Remembering podcast to the topic of mothers and the mother archetype and just devotion to the mother. And um, I just heard that emanating from you in that original conversation that we had. And so again, thank you for saying yes to the invitation and and thank you for being willing to speak on something that is um, very dear to the heart, I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, uh, when, when you had um, invited me, I was actually really, really glad you did. It feels good to to be able to share in a way that um, I can recognize being valuable for, for women. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes. And I want to state the intention right here that the reason that I'm asking Joe to be on, I'm sure that there are reasons that will unfold that I can't even possibly plan, of course. But what I heard was wisdom that I really believe that women who are raising boys can really, really um, benefit from hearing and myself included because I have an 11 year old son um, and I've been a single parent for the last six years. Um, And so I know that you have a story of being raised um, by a single mother that impacted your life um, in in the relationship choices that she made and things like that. And so, um, you know, as women who are raising the next generation of men, we really need to be aware of some of the wisdom that you are holding. So, um, so thank you. But before we want to, before we get into that, I want you to just introduce yourself, please, and tell us who you are and what you do in the world and how you came to this, you know, conscious relationship path and just anything you want to share? So, um, there's a lot that I can offer up there. Um, <laughs> I leave it pretty open-ended. Yeah. Any, any direction. <laughs> I ask big and wide questions. And right. <laughs> so compress everything about you for the last 40 years. All right. No. Well, do you want to start by telling us about your work? How about that? What no, do you no, do I, now? I, I, I know. Um, I was just kidding. Um, <laughs> so my, um, I'd say, um, what I do is I coach both men and women, um, on conscious relationship, but, um, really with a focus on discovering who they are in a way that allows them to have freedoms in areas they otherwise wouldn't, uh, with themselves, which gives them access to, um, who they are in a way that connects with others more deeply, more openly. Um, so it just makes them more naturally available. Um, and, and all that comes from a combination of things. It comes from my, my own personal experience over the last uh, two decades of self work. Um, everything from meditation that I started when I was 19 years old to, um, to, um, you know, just personal growth in the spiritual world to uh, real deep dives that I've done, especially recently over the last four years with, um, with conscious relating specifically and um, most especially my favorite part recently was I went into a sacred relationship program last year with a, a couple that I really uh, admire, appreciate and have a lot of respect for um, 
So it's kind of, you know, I mean, it's kind of a lot of stuff that I'm coming there, but mm-hmm. all, of, all of it goes into how I approach people um, and, and when I'm actually coaching them. So, um, mm-hmm. and, and just to kind of give a, you know, it's not, I don't, I don't do this just because it happens to be something that I do. It's actually a, like, I love connecting with people and I'm a naturally deep person. Um, and I've just done a, it's like every single year of my life has been deeper and deeper and, uh, with more growth and, and just to help others be able to access themselves in that way, um, mm-hmm. is, is a big part of my motivation. So I, I utilize these tools that I've learned over the course of the last couple of decades to just to do that as best I can. Beautiful. There's so many parallels between the things that I talk about and the things that you talk about. I'm sure listeners can hear that in what you just said <laughs> with all of the sacred union and sacred relationship and conscious relationship. So maybe, um, you know, we might find ourselves back there in this podcast um, to those topics. Uh, but thank you for that introduction. And um, we'll be sure to put where people can find you in the show notes. And um, you can tell us at the end of the episode as well. Um, but let's, let's, you know, go back to, um, to being a young, a young one. Mm-hmm. And tell us about your childhood and what the layout of your family was. And um, yeah, your your mother father dynamic and just sort of the important parts of that early journey to paint the picture for us as to where you came from. Hmm. Okay. Um, so I am, um, the second oldest of five children. Um, <clears throat> and I was all often felt as though I was the oldest in the family because even my older brother, who was three years younger, three years older than me, was um, he was immature in many ways, and I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a. I mean, I had uh, my 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 youth was pretty rough. Um, had stemmed my my mother, single mother, after the eight. I, I turned eight years old after some um, after being with an abusive man, um, being married to an abusive man for eight years. Um, there was a lot that came from that, uh, those first eight years of my life that required recovering or, um, you know, emotional recovering, psychological recovering, and, um, and discovering who we were now that that piece of our life was gone and, and we were doing our best, even my mom, um, was doing her best in the process to discover who she was while at the same time, the rest of her five kids were trying to do the same. So um, as far as the the dynamic, you know, it was, uh, we became, me and my older brother became the role models of the house. And in many ways I became the role model to my older brother. Um, and we, to kind of, let's say, shorten the story that can really get quite long and so much that happened in that, in those, those years. Um, I learned a lot about how to not do things. <laughs> mm-hmm. Even right? like, I mean, you were so young and it was registering like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is how you don't do it. Yeah. yeah all of yeah. that. I mean, all of that, every, everything from, you know, just seeing how, how men, adult men treat women to how, 
you know, how, how, how the dynamic of a mother to a son works or rather doesn't work very well. Um, and how, and, and, and how to, how to thrive in connection when there are wounds. Yeah. Um, so. so your mother had two husbands, you were the second born. And so you and your brother were for the, to the first father, correct? Yes. And then do you have a relationship with your biological father? I do. I do. Okay. Um, and, and that's, that's one where I've been helping him grow some. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting because I recently had a conversation with, where, with him where he, he, in recognizing how far I've come and how much I've grown and, and the successes that I've had, he, he basically, in, 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 in a very vulnerable way, requested my, my, my support to help him. Um, so I definitely, um, and, and there's some healing that I want to I do with him um, that I think will be challenging for him that I'm, I'd be looking forward to just to have a deeper connection with my father. So yeah. it's there, it's there. It's, it's kind of, it's casual, but it's definitely there. And it's, it's definitely an important relationship to me. It's just a matter of time to make it more um, deep. Mm-hmm. And you can definitely hear your maturity from that early age to now. So then, and how much older is your brother? Um, so my older brother, Toby's three years, three months. Three years older than you. Okay. So your mother had gone through two relationships and two separations by the time, like within 11 years. Well, uh, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. So you were eight and Toby was 11 and, um, I'm curious so your mother was with this with the stepfather who was abusive and had three more children with him, and you and Toby were watching that happen. What was that like? Well, um, let's go back to it. Gosh, um, let's see if I can put this into words. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely in a different place. I would say if you would have caught me. Um, 20 years ago, or, you know, at the age of 15, I could, I could have given you all sorts of descriptions that were Mm -hmm. painful, but I've moved past a lot of that. So I'm in a different place. Mm -hmm. So I have to kind of go back into it um, and remember um, stepping back into that. Um, It was, I would say it was, it was, it was painful in particular being, um, not being able to do anything to prevent it. Um, I think, I think part of what I suffered from was a real strong desire to, to just bring love. Um, you know, and I, I I don't know if that's what other boys experience, but I mean, I imagine it is. If it isn't, I can tell you for sure that was a very strong uh, part of who I was without a doubt. Um, I wanted to experience love and I wanted to bring love, uh, into it and that, I didn't know how to make that happen. Um, and I didn't know how to protect my mother. Um, and I also didn't know how to get through to my older brother who was picking up habits of my stepfather. Um, and I wanted him to, to come around as well because I loved him. Um, I was, I was actually quite, I think a little bit more than normal, a a loving boy, um, always attracted to women. It was never like something where I had, 
you know, a uh, question about that. Uh, in fact, I mean, side note, I've had, I remember times when I had girlfriends when I was just like, <laughs> you know, five years old, mm-hmm. but, um, but it was, um, it was definitely painful um, to, to watch, to experience, to not be able to do anything about and to not know how to bring love to people who I could tell were suffering. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you for going back into that because I know that I'm asking you pretty uncomfortable questions or questions I imagine are uncomfortable. And the reason that I'm doing that is because I I want listeners to kind of get a sense of maybe um, where your your mom was at because, you know, there's like the decisions women make, you know, like the decisions women make to... um, to stay in certain relationships or to get involved in certain relationships. And so um, I imagine that there were some pain points on the part of your mother for, you know, entering into a relationship with an abusive man or, or staying as long as she did, or, you know, the pain of just having children with a man that doesn't respect you um, physically, emotionally, otherwise. And so. Yeah. um, Yeah. I have no problem with you asking me questions. It's sometimes I've done so, you know, just to help you understand, like I, I really don't have any problem with, I'm talking about any of this. It's just when you, when you, when you've gone through the wound and mm-hmm. the wound's fresh, it's, it's very recognizable. It's like, you cannot avoid it because there's lots of things that will remind you of it. Right. But after I, after having done so much healing and moving past it, it's not so readily available. So you're I'm, yeah. I'm totally open to talking about it. It just might take me a second to kind of dive back into that memory, you know? Right. Yeah. And we wouldn't really be talking about it if the wound was active, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that would be traumatic. Um, right. So yeah, no, I really, I really respect that. Um, it's not as, as active and like, I'm so, I'm so happy for you because that's an indicator of the healing. So, but yeah, so um so this helplessness of of watching your mom and not being able to like do anything. I think you said before we started recording that you would hide under the bed, you know, when yes. things got bad abusively. Um, yeah, hiding under the bed was one of my favorite things to do as a kid because it was like my safe spots. Like I know because I was so small, I was you know I've always been a small person. Um, I mean, I'm five five right now. I could fit into super tiny places. And one thing that I knew for sure is that because I was small, I knew I could find the coolest hiding spaces. So under the bed was one of my favorite places to go. Okay. So. Yeah. So then you were like evading the, um, the stepfather. Yes. Okay. And so how was mom with the stepfather? Like, how was she emotionally? Um, what did you notice as an 80 year old? Gosh. Um, Like, was she quiet or was she attempting to stand up to him uh, verbally? Was she, you know, did you notice her emotional pain? She was, I would say the most ever present thing about her was that she was shut down and um, Mm. she was shut down and guarded. um, And she wasn't, I wouldn't say that she was very expressive. So she would, she would, she would avoid uh, all expression to avoid being um, manipulated um, Mm. or 
or to prevent people from recognizing what she loved or didn't love or, you know, like disliked, liked, whatever, in order to use those sorts of things against her. Uh, it's just a pattern that she had developed. Mm. Um, and uh, I mean, outside of that, I'd say the, ex- the only expression that I would see from her was, it was, it was, it was, it was trying to defend herself or, you know, some sort of screaming. Um, um, he was a very, you know, I mean, he was a sexual man. So it was, it was like either it was, um, it was drinking or it was porn and sex. Um, mm. and he never held down a job. So, um, you know, he bounced around from one job to the next. So there was unreliability. There was, uh, you know, her, her questions of his faith, uh, questions of his, you know, emotional, uh, psychological stability. So there was just constantly walking around with her own sense of being guarded, um, and shut down. Meanwhile, she's wondering, you know, when the next time he's going to swing at her is going to be, you know? So does that, does that answer it for you? I hope that answers Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And, um, so she did manage to leave him then when you were eight and take all five children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, just like, I don't remember really well at that, at that age. I do have, uh, just, I have some rolling images, uh, uh videos in my mind of her trying to, to take, move us all and like five kids and, you know, in the midst of this chaos, um, into a women's shelter, um, can't remember what the name of the place was. Um, but we had, yeah, we ended up there twice before, before, she, before finding our way into a house independent of him. But yeah, she, she definitely got, got away from him. Okay. okay. And, and I know that I, I'm, I'm nearly 100% certain that her motivation was her children to protect them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So what do you remember about your mom after that. So, so she gets out of the abusive relationship. She establishes home with five children. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm interested in the thread of the self-protection that she had formulated. You know, I work with a lot of women who are, are bearing that self-protection. I definitely have dealt with plenty of that myself as a woman. Um, you know, when things have gone wrong or there have been traumas, we become guarded. I think we're coming in with that epigenetically at this point. I also think that we're talking about it now because it's really up in the collective to heal. Um, did your mother maintain that air of self-protection after she left and established the home for, for you five kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, she held on to it so tightly that, that it's, it's something that I don't think that she's to this day been able to, to shake loose entirely. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Super common. And, and some of these questions I'm asking, you know, for the women listening, because this is primary female listenership um, for us to listen to those 
for those threads, you know, that we carry in ourselves. Um, I know that we make decisions about relationships that we think are going to be one thing and then they begin or they turn into another thing. And, and like I, myself, um, after my marriage entered into, um, you know, I dated just like ever so slightly, uh, because I do everything seriously. (laughs) And Uh so, um, you know, I entered into two relationships that I thought held a lot of promise and introduced my child to them. And and then my child ended up getting hurt when these moms mm-hmm. didn't even say goodbye, kind of things that like I never saw coming. And so I know that um, we we make decisions the best we can. And then there are these effects on our children that, um, that we don't expect. And um and then, and then we continue to do our best, you know? And so right. I'm just, I'm asking some of these questions so that we can hear ourselves in your story. But, but what I want to talk about next is um, more about how this shaped you, um, how your mother's emotionality or lack thereof, or just like who, who she became as a person and how she handled her emotions, how that shaped you as a boy watching this happen to your mother and then and then her emotionality after she left as well yeah yeah um so i would say it defines everything about who i personally chosen to be um i would i would um i would i would say it's distinct distinct difference um between how i've allowed that to shape me um compared to to my other siblings and I, i don't know why for me. Um, but I used it as I basically, there was, there was being a loving boy. I think there was just a part of me that wanted to also experience love. I'm a, I'm just a naturally affectionate person when it comes to the person that I care about most in partnership. And, um, you know, talk about love languages. I, I'm, I'm, my top love languages include, you know, physical touch and, and words of affirmation. So hearing, hearing affirming words and, uh, physical touch. And I, I didn't have much of that. And I think there was a part of me that wanted to have it a lot as a kid, in addition to just being a naturally affectionate person. Mm-hmm. Um, I, mean, I, I, I spent a good decade in and out of the massage therapy industry, uh, you know, because it was like, I love connection. Um, so it's important to me and it always has been my, when I just, you know, at, at that young of an age, um, not knowing how to have that sort of connection that I desired that felt loving to me. Um, you know, I, I remember seeing movies and such where families just got along really well. Mothers were super sweet with their kids and, um, and just the simple idea of a mother and father and kids just getting along, enjoying each other, laughing and having fun and eating at the dinner table and, you know, a, a, a child inquiring about, um, you know, wanting to know something from his mother or father and requesting information and, and having it just be a casual conversation that, you know, through that conversation, you experience love. I wanted to have that and I didn't have it. So somehow that desire to have that and also recognizing that I didn't know how to create that situation with my mom put me in a situation where a place where I wanted to figure out how. So I saw every opportunity where she was closed um, as, as, as an opportunity for me to discover how to help her open. Um, mm-hmm. 
So the question became, who can I become that allows her to feel so trusting in me that she would relax? Mm. Um, And I'd say the interesting thing about that is because there was so much trauma in her life, the opportunities were endless. <laughs> right. So, so it was like one after the next of how do I approach this? How do I approach her? How do, what words or actions uh, don't have, don't create some sort of charge with her or um, whatever the case, like, and, and, and there were a lot of things that she had said to me that were, um, if I had let them, they would have defined me negatively. You know, like we talk about who she became. And I remember times where she would say things like men just want sex and men are pigs. And mm. I, I would hear that a lot from her as a kid, um, as a boy. And I, I mean, I don't, I was a boy. I didn't know what sex was, I don't, you know, like I had heard about it um, once or twice. You know, I know it. And so, um, and, and to feel, feel the energy, I would say more than anything, you know, through things like the tone of her voice that she would call men pigs and I'm sitting there right in front of her, I'm a boy going to grow up to be a man. So I'm undeniably going to be a pig and apparently pig has a, you know, super, super negative connotation to it. And I'm that thing. Right. So. Yeah, I I want to let you finish, and then I want to go right back there because that that's such a huge thing for women to be aware of. Um, but continue. Yeah, yeah. Pause me anytime if you need. Um, Sorry to interrupt. Oh, no, no, <laughs> like no. that, that right there. <laughs> yeah, no, bring it, bring it up. I'm, 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 yeah. Okay. So, so that. I think that unconscious thing that that women do where like we bitch or complain about men in front of our male children. And I think that that was such a big part of my journey as a woman who did carry trauma related to men. But by that, by the time I was waking up, I had already birthed a son. Mm-hmm. And so there was this like consciousness that, okay, well, if I stay stuck in my anger toward men generally, general men, then, um, then I'm putting my son in that box with that. And I'm not satisfied to put my son in that man box. Um, and, you know, and am determined to, to do it differently. But what you're talking about is so common that like Carl Jung gave this a term, he called it the mother wound. Mm-hmm. And that was this projection of, male partners, male father, like male associated with masculine, that projection that women had experienced projecting that onto their sons and the sons becoming or feeling as though they must be um, emotionally responsible for their mothers. Yes. And so what you're describing is like, I, I hear that. I hear that case study of the mother wound because you said it defined everything. Like you were vigilant of your mother and you were like, how can I make her feel better? What can I possibly do? And then what did that do to you as a young person, as a, you know, 20 something, 30 something to see that, oh my gosh, like I'm performing, I'm performing, I'm performing. And mom still feels the same. Yeah. Um, it was, it was endlessly traumatizing for me at the, at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, 
it, it was, I, I, I can never be good. Like I am inherently bad and there's no way I could possibly be good. Yeah. Um, like no exaggeration. That's that stuck with me for, for nearly two decades. Yeah. Um, yeah. I really want women to hear that. Like we cannot keep doing this to our sons. We cannot yeah. keep doing this to our sons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, what it, what it also did for me was, uh, was create, I mean, really the underlying thing was it, it had created a belief in me that because I was inherently bad, no matter which women, which woman I desired to have connection with, I was bound to fail. Right. Um, so I would project onto women that I desired to be with that they didn't want to be with me. So I would, I would consider basically in my mind, I was a failure before I started. So mm-hmm. I would default to, to relationships that actually were, weren't what I desired. Um, and I had to over learn how to overcome it, come that. Okay. So what did that look like in early relationships? Because I know, you know, like in, in heterosexual relationships, like we're talking about, you know, women desire for men to show up a certain way. And there's a lot of, of anti-man talk and conversation and like lumping it as toxic masculinity and, and shit like that. And I mean, this is one of the major roots of not knowing how to be presently emotional in a relationship with a woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what did that look like? How did you behave or how did you show up? Yeah, that's actually a really good converse, uh, conversation because it, it, it revolves around what a man will experience as emasculation. So, um, I don't personally, like I've, I've stepped away from, from the suggestion that women emasculate men. Um, and I can certainly explain more if need be, but, um, I believe in taking full responsibility for my experience, I believe that I experienced emasculation. Um, and it was a result of my experience of the, of, of how my mother treated me. Um, if I'm inherently flawed as a man, um, in connection to women, um, then all I see is what I'm doing wrong in relationships. So I fear everything that I'm doing. Like, okay, if I do this, she's going to react this way. Um, if I step up into my own masculinity and my own power, she's going to be terrified or angry, or she's going to overreact and want to, want to, you know, basically insult me in some way that, uh, takes power. Mm -hmm. Um, because if she does that, well, then she can't be hurt. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and what that ended up creating in me was for the longest time, my tiptoeing, um, in relationships. So if I really desired to be in relationship with a woman, I had a strong desire to be with, it it would not only be, um, I would not only approach it from the, from the get go with the feeling that I was a failure, but, I would, I would be endlessly walking on eggshells that I had created in my own belief system. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I couldn't step up into my own masculinity. Right. It's like self-fulfilling prophecy at that point. Right. So, I mean, and, and um, ultimately I, you know, I moved to this point um, and I, I've done tons and tons of work around that to get to the point where I'm very comfortable with my masculinity in, in relationship these days. Super mm-hmm. comfortable. Um, but without a doubt, that had um, made it impossible, 
literally impossible for me to have a relationship with that belief system in place. Would you say that that flipped the polarity a little bit? So if you are in that emasculated place or that fear place and sort of susceptible to whatever the woman's emotions are doing, um, you know, did that put the woman in the masculine polarity and you more in the feminine polarity? Yes. Um, that's the natural process of it. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's, <laughs> this is actually a fun conversation for me. This is, this is because this is, it took me a long time to understand this piece as a man. It took me a long time to really get, put the pieces together for this. Mm-hmm. Um, and the deepest, deepest, the work I've done in the last four years. And it's, I, I would love, I really would love to bring this to more men. It's uh, challenging to, to create that space though. But um, so really what happens is um, a woman, and I'm, you know, I'm going to speak very generally, you know, correct me mm-hmm. if you feel it needs to be, you know, a woman, a heterosexual woman in a relationship that desires to experience her own femininity in relationship is going to feel every single moment that a man does not uh, step into his masculinity with comfort, um, his hesitation. Um, his hesitation to just make to be decisive, make make decisions that have to be made that that are difficult to be difficult to make, or um, or even just even just the decision to cook dinner, go buy food, pick up a recipe, go buy food, and cook dinner, and and how how the evening is going to go from there, and ha- let, allow her to relax so much that you you know you just take on the majority of the the responsibilities for that evening, so she just can relax. Um, something as simple as that. Um, she will feel his hesitation to do that. Um, and yeah. So, I mean, naturally because she's going to feel his hesitation, she's going to step into that role because it has to happen. So, um, and, 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 uh, and a lot of, you know, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, my hesitation came through and a woman would let me see in many different ways that she was attracted to me and she desired me to approach her or, or to, to take the lead in, in moving the relationship in a direction of, you know, deepening or um, whatever. And I, I, would, I would be super slow to that or I'd be afraid of it. Or I would, I would be like the way that I would communicate, it would be clear that I wasn't sure what I wanted because, or at least it would be clear that to her that um, – it would be, no, I'm sorry, let me rephrase this. It would be unclear to her what I wanted because everything that I wanted was covered up by my, my fear and my hesitation. Yes, yes. And there's, yeah, you're right. There's nothing more attractive than just the man who knows and decides and, and leads in that space. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. And, and I, can I share my experience in my marriage? I mean, I want to own that, like, I was that woman that did that emasculating. Um, and I remember my ex-husband would say that, like he used that word. We were together from, I was 19 when we got together and, um, I was 30, 
I'm doing some math here. I was like 33 or 34 when we parted. So, I mean, it was like 14 years of, of a really codependent relationship, but he had a massive mother wound. Um, his mother had left him at the point of individuation and blamed him. So when the boys, when the boy individuates from the mother as an early teen, uh, which is totally natural, um, you know, she didn't know about that. She took it as a like, very, very personal rejection and left him and blamed him. Mm. And so, you know, then he spent his adolescence with a father who modeled no emotional availability mm. um, at all. And, and so, you know, and we grew up as high school best friends. And so this man really needed a mother. I lost a child at the age of 19 and I, I was like ready to mother. And so we essentially played that out for 14 years, (laughs) you know, and, and that's all subconscious. Like I want people to hear that that's all subconscious and we don't, you know, you don't know that you're doing it, but when so, so much of the population is affected by this mother wound, my cat is here and, and she's really talking to the birds. So you're just going to hear the cats and the birds singing <laughs> in the background. <laughs> I'm I like, I can't, con- it. I okay, okay, okay. can't control it. I'm just going to let her sing. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> what was that about controlling women? Okay. Let me go back. So, so, you know, we were, <laughs> we were playing that out. And he would say, like, you're being emasculating. And I was just like, please step up, you know, please do something. And so I didn't necessarily want to be the one that was making the decisions. I didn't necessarily want to be the one who was like going back to school for a master's and then a second master's just so I could climb the career ladder so I could pay the bills. I was like, I really wanted to be provided for. I really wanted... um, the decision-making or at least equal providership. Um, And when he did not step into that space and I had to hold that masculine polarity, which so many women are holding. I mean, again, that's why I'm saying this. It's like so many women are holding that. They think it's the default, but guess who I learned that from? I learned that from my mother and she learned that from her mother because it was like this, that self-protection that's passed down. Well, Men aren't going to show up. It's not safe to receive. Um, You know, men are shit. And so somehow, like, we're going to partner with them. We're going to have the children with them. But men are shit, and you're going to have to do it anyway. Like, that was the programming, the subconscious programming that I received. And so I love that you're painting this picture here on the other side saying all you wanted was love. (laughs) and you wanted to show up, but you had no idea how to show up in order to make that woman happy. And so it was like, well, and and you hear it culturally, like, well, can't please women, (laughs) right? Like can't please them anyway, just have to suck it up and shut up. And so, yeah, we're pointing to so many relationship dynamics right here. Yeah. But if, if I, if I may, I want to, I want to be really, I want to be really clear in taking responsibility for my side as a man, because I, and, and, and this is the beauty of this conversation is because we're both doing that. But, but I, I want to say that the distinction here that I recognize is there's a dependency. Like, are we, are we both owning our part? Because there is, like I said, a man can experience emasculation 
But if he's not owning that his experience doesn't necessarily mean that she's causing his experience. Thank you. He's, he's feeling you. it. <laughs> yeah. He's feeling it, but he needs to take responsibility for the experience himself. Otherwise, he's going to endlessly be a victim. So yes, there is a dependency. It's important for a woman to recognize that her behavior and her tone of voice and her words can be hurtful and impactful in very traumatizing ways. But a man is responsible for his experience, period. Mm, thank you so much for saying that. Just <laughs> thank you so much. My my female system just like relaxed a little bit. So um, what I'd love to talk about is um, a, a little bit more is raising sons and raising conscious sons. And, and actually what I'd like to do is um, share again, kind of a continuation of, of that story that I just told. So now my, this, this ex-husband and I are co-parenting mm-hmm. sometimes more consciously than others. And, and it's a little bit vulnerable right now because it's like, it is um, uh, a hot uh, situation currently in my life at the time of this recording, but I would love for you, Joe, to almost like let me know as a mother, the advice for my son right now. Are you up for that? Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. This is fun. <laughs> guide, guide the question because I'm okay. not sure what, is, what does that look like for you. So then you well, read that. So I have some open curiosities about um, how to raise conscious sons, you know. And and right now, thank God, I do have this very conscious partner who has, like you, done a lot of self work and work on his relationship with his mother and his father and is like very, very conscious to emotions and, um, and to what my child needs. So thank God that there is now that, uh, conscious male presence. So, you know, my child is 11 and he goes back and forth between houses and we're recording this during the quarantine. And, um, this time has really revealed a lot of, problems that were sort of going under the radar or were at least uh, we could deal with them because he was in school so much of the time. And so we've started to go week on week off and the child's coming back to me and exhibiting behaviors that, you know, he doesn't leave my house with. So I spend a lot of time emotionally um, showing up for my son and, sort of like mitigating what he experiences at the other house. And I, I don't mean to badmouth that house. It's just like, there are reasons people get divorced, you know? And, and I just really kind of explained what ours was. So in my child coming back, and this was just last week, he, he came back from his father's and he was, you know, raising his voice. At one point he raised his fist to me, um, you know, doesn't want to follow my directions as far as his schoolwork goes. I mean, like we were in some real, um, challenge and real disrespect. Mm -hmm. And, And I'm saying this to now own what happened for me because I can't control what happens at the other house. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, which is so fucking hard sometimes. Um, and, and there's this like emotionally distraught part of me that's like, fuck, you know, how, how is this going to turn out in my son? And when he was doing the things like ignoring me or, um, blaming, which is a pattern of his father's, you know, I started to think even subconsciously at first, but I was like, Oh fuck, he's acting like his dad. And, and that brought another layer of emotionality up in me and fear, right? Because Lord knows I want the child to be conscious. And, um, so I started to go into an emotionality where I was bringing forward how I felt about his father and the anger at his father that I didn't even realize was there. And I'm, and it's coming out of my mouth toward my child. Mm-hmm. And for like 48 hours, I was going, don't project on him. Don't project on him. Don't project on him. But it was like happening anyway, <laughs> you know? And, um, and it's terrifying because there are these points like beyond our control, how, how do you recommend women navigate that space where we want to consciously raise our boys? We're sometimes better at it than other times. Sometimes I get it right. Sometimes I don't. What are tools of consciousness that women need to know in raising boys around healthy emotionality you know, what do boys need? What do they not need? Um, yeah. Is, is that a frame enough for a question? Uh, let's, let's see if we can refine it some. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty wide. Uh, uh, um, my, my questions are so wide. Um, well, this one in particular is that, that was, that was more wide than normal. So there's, there's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess it's like from the boy's perspective, mm-hmm. when there are these different influences or there is this emotionality from mom, what is a healthy way for mom to deal with her own emotionality to positively affect him and positively bring forward his budding masculinity? Um, ooh. Well, that's, I mean, you, but you're, you, when, when you're talking about, um, like, um, I mean, you brought up, you said he actually raised his hand to you. That right? did happen. Yeah. Like right. he, he'll ball his fist in posture. Right. He, um, that, I think that that could, that's going to be a challenging one. Uh, you know, when you have that sort of energy coming from your son, that's going to be a, a, a bit of a challenge, I think for any mother, but um, because naturally she's going to, I think that's just naturally going to bring up fear in her, regardless of who the man is. I mean, especially if it's her son. Um, but, um, I would say that just like it is, it, this is, this is a weird thing that, um, it's so con- uh, counterintuitive to do this. Um, and, and most humans, I mean, not just women, most humans are not going to, be able to easily drop into a space of compassion towards somebody that has is in a, in a space of being aggressive. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So our natural tendency is to go like, you're a dick. Get the fuck away from me. Mm. You know, or to be in defensive mode or just to naturally guard ourselves, whether it's, whether it's obvious or it's just, we can feel our heart close, you know, mm-hmm. it's, that's our nature. So, I mean, you know, I don't want to get into politics here, but everybody's na- most people's response to Trump, whether they are actually supportive or not is repulsion. Right. Mm-hmm. So even Republicans have a tendency, even though they're not going to outwardly express it, they're repulsed by his behavior, his, his, the way that he talks, um, and a lot of people end up guarded by that. And so the response, especially on the Democratic side, is to be like, um, let's fight this, right? But if you actually read articles on what engages Trump, it's people who are soft and tender with him, hmm. who are very lighthearted with him and, and understanding and compassionate. Um, and he, he, he settles down when that sort of experience happens. Just, you, you could recognize it every single time he's around an interviewer that's just tender with him. Um, and that's why his son-in-law, Jared, is a super soft and sensitive person. Because if he had an aggressive son-in-law, it, 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 that wouldn't work out very well. Mm-hmm. So uh, our nature, and again, I don't want to bring politics. Is it? It's just a. It's a. It's it's a, it's an ever-present theme. So I, I thought it was a good uh, mm-hmm. way to segue this. But it's it's human nature to want to to defend or attack or fight against the thing that's assertive, aggressive, or just dense. Mm-hmm. Um, we want that thing to soften, just calm down, you soften, you be loving. And so I can be loving. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's not how it works. Um, and, and to, to be clear, boys are inherently more naturally assertive, aggressive, and just dense. That's just, you know, I, I used to, I used to say, and I still do sort of the same boys. I see them as bam, bam, you know, the, the Flintstone kids. Yeah. Right. It's like, Bam, bam. You know, it's like boys just break things, right? That's what they're good at. They're good at breaking things and just being dense. Um, So they're just naturally, to begin with, going to be more challenged at accessing their hearts. Um, Add to that the fact that there's a culture that reinforces not accessing our hearts as men. And, um, and, so we've got two things working against us, our own masculine male dense nature, and then also a culture that feeds to us that accessing our hearts is not safe. It's not acceptable. Um, it has no place. Was there a point where you like turned on your own heart, turned against your own heart? Absolutely. I spent, I spent probably a good 30 years plus uh, turned against wow. myself. I was, I was, I was my own enemy. I was my own worst enemy. Um, Without a doubt, I was super. I mean, and, and they say that there's the, the adage, uh, ad, adage, adage, whatever, uh, that you, nobody is as hard on yourself as, as you will be. Um, you were your own worst critic. critic. Um, so, go ahead. Is there a thing that your mother could have done to prevent you from turning on your own heart or? Joe, do you think that this is where the lack of male ritual in our and male rites of passage and ritual um, comes into play in the conversation? Like women, women really can't fully raise men. Uh, I, I would say that that's that's generally true. Um, I don't, I don't think that it's, I don't think that it's wise to personally, 
I don't think it's wise to leave that entirely in the hands of one single parent. Uh, it'll, it's going to be really challenging. Uh, I don't think it's impossible, but I also personally believe that it's, it's more healthy to have both parents involved, um, both healthy parents involved. So, you know, when I, when I talk about when I was kind of, um, I was saying that, um, you know, I was, I was describing a boy's experience or like, you know, being more assertive and aggressive and dense and all that sort of stuff and how kind of softening in response to his denseness can help him be more graceful um, just because he's naturally, he, he's going to recognize he's, you know, more dense um, and just being patient with that part of him. But um, I, um, I just don't, um, I I don't, I I don't think that that's a super easy conversation because while I would totally just say, yeah, sure. Casually, of course, you know, it's going to be great to have a a healthy father and a healthy mother and, you know, you're both healthy together. You raise a healthy child. Sure. But I mean, under what circumstances is that ideal, ideal, um, exactly as it needs to be. So, yeah. You know, and, and then in a lot of cases, you're going to have, say, a, a mother who has strengths that you might culturally believe that a man should have. And a man has strengths that you might culturally believe that a woman have should have. But together in parenting, they're doing just fine. So, you know, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that's as personally, I don't think it's as simple as just, you know, have both parents and you're good, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, not to dismiss, like, of course, same sex parents can, can do it well and like hold different polarities and model different polarities and model the affection. Yeah. Um, and but did I, did I answer your question? I know you had a couple questions in there and I want to make sure that I, I answered. Yeah. Well, I thought of like a slightly different way of, of asking it because I, I thought that maybe I would share that story and kind of get your advice, but then I also wanted to ask it for that for that little boy that you were, what, what did you really need from your mom? And like, I mean, totally respecting that every mom's doing the best they can and that she did the best she could. And so I, I, I mean, no disrespect in this question, but um, knowing what you know now around emotional wellness and looking back at your life, what did that little boy self need? Um, you just like you tapped on my heart center when you did that. <laughs> mm. You went straight to my heart center. My, I was like, "Wow, yeah, that's that's the piece right there." So, mm. um, so um, now I don't, you know, with uh, respect to my mom, I'm not going to dive into her personally. But um, mm-hmm. my mom does not. She doesn't, she doesn't do the love thing very well. Um, there's a lot of fear uh, that's kind of mixed in with love for her. Mm-hmm. So, um, so I didn't really experience much of that growing up. And, um, and, but, you know, patience, um, tenderness, um, and, 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 you know, I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm saying things that probably everybody 
would want to experience and desire to experience. But for me, those things, when I had them in trace amounts from other places, I ate them up. Like I, I soaked them up like mad. I was like, let me go where I can have some of that because that's the stuff that makes me more whole. That's the stuff that balances me out because it was so absent uh, for me. And I desired it from her so strongly that I was just like, how, how do I get more of that? Mm. If I can experience more of that from other people, then I'll at least be able to internalize it within myself to be able to give it to myself. Beautiful. Patience, tenderness, and love. Which are the things mothers know how to do. I mean, like it, it is the thing of the feminine. And I think in me looking at just myself over the last few weeks and, and being activated emotionally around like, oh my gosh, how do I, how do I show up for my son? I think I have gone, I have defaulted toward, okay, what structures does he need? What, um, you know, like discipline. I mean, and I don't use that word like punitively. I mean, structure, you know, first you do homework, then you can ride the, the one wheel, you know? And so it's, it's like, I went in that direction, which is not what you're saying. (laughs) You know, I went with like, Oh, if this structure isn't being provided elsewhere, I'm going to provide it. (laughs) Well, which is more of that emasculation. Well, but Um, no, see, I want to, now, th- this is the tricky thing here, because if it's not, if he's not provided, he's, if he's not being provided that structures from somewhere else in a, in a, in a way that it needs to be uh, instilled in him, it's got to come from somewhere. It's got to be both. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it's got to so be the structure and the love. <laughs> and and I, that's, but that's, you know, I'm sorry. Like, cause I, I, I hear you. Like when you're saying that, like, I feel exactly your experience. Uh, watching my mother having gone through the same thing and trying to give us a structure and at the same time love, it's like, like, how do you even do that? Um, you know, like you, you've got to be in two spaces simultaneously. And um, so I get it, but it's, mm. if, if, unf- you know, and I say this with, with the deepest, absolutely deepest empathy toward your experience I get it and I get how challenging that is and how you just want to be able to be in a space of being loved, loving and tender. And, um, I get it. Um, but yeah, I mean, if he's not getting it from other places, it's got to come from somewhere. Right. But I think if we can be, you know, as parents, like forget gender, forget like any of that. If we as parents can, you know, check our own shit (laughs) and then come from loving intention, because I think when I was putting down that extra structure, I was coming from the fear and the fear was blended with the projection of his father, you know? So I was going, Oh shit, I'm going to prevent this. Watch me, (laughs) you know, like, And so <laughs> I just, I just like air my own dirty laundry on my own podcast. Because, um, we're just all living and learning hey, as humans hey, right here. Renee Brown, you know, the power of vulnerability, right? <laughs> yeah. But it's just, it's so real. It's so real. And we can theorize over what is like the best way, but we are talking about things that are, I mean, intergenerational since like thousands and thousands of years. And so, um, you know, these are really difficult threads to pull apart, but Joe, thank you so much for being here and talking about this today. And 
I want to give you a chance to um, say anything that is still on your heart and wanting to be said now. And I also would love for you to tell folks where to find you because clearly you are attuned and conscious and can advise folks and their relations um, very deeply. So I want people to be able to find you as well. Yeah, no, I, I would say just I've, I've loved, I've loved where the conversation has gone. It's uh, I'm sitting here like as we're, as we're diving into some really like you really tapped on some heart things on me tonight. Mm. tonight. So, um, so I, and I love that you did and I love that you brought up the conversation and I'm love that. I love that you allowed it to go in that direction. Um, so, I mean, that's really it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful and I loved, I loved having this time with you. Um, outside of that, for being here. yeah, outside of that, um, Facebook, um, jokeish.com, my website, um, but Facebook and jokeish.com. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can reach me directly through, through Facebook, uh, messenger anytime. Um, great. It's K E I C H. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah thank you. J O E K E I C H. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Joe, I so appreciate this. Thank you for being our first male guest. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you for speaking on such a vulnerable topic and for sharing your heart. And, um, you know, I really, after, after a career in working with male adolescents and really caring so much about uh, men and masculinity and raising boys, I can really, really attest to it's really all about heart. I mean, men's hearts want to be accessed and want to be engaged. And so thank you for, for modeling that it always was that way for you as a young person. And it still is now after some recovery, after closing off that sweetheart of yours. So thank you for modeling that and um, for walking the way you walk in the world. Yeah, as a, there's a, women have some powerful juice for men to be able to access their own hearts. I've learned that especially recently. So you're 100% correct and you're up and you're welcome. So. Yeah, wonderful. Okay, well, onward. <laughs> All right, have a wonderful evening. You uh, too. Look forward to connecting with you again. You too. All right. Hey, it's Sarah, the host here and the creator of Embodied Breath my private practice where I use alchemical coaching and healing methodologies to help you live into your full truth so that you can be who you desire to be in the world. I believe that every woman has a truth that she's not yet telling and that to own that truth changes and even saves her life. At sarahpoet.com, you'll find trauma-sensitive tools, practices, meditations, my TEDx for modern women, an e-course for women to shift from silence into sacred truth, my blog with many more personal stories, information on conscious relationship and my work with couples and sacred union, links to working with me in various durations privately for leadership coaching and otherwise. You can schedule a consultation right there on the website if that's for you. Everything changes when we align to the truth of who we are when we stop identifying with our old stories and traumas, and when we own that sacred truth and claim the path of sacred remembering for ourselves. I believe that it is the formula for everything from personal alchemy to planetary shifts. 
Thank you for being here and thank you for helping to create change with your life at this time. This is Sarah Poet of Embodied Breath, and thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I'm curious, what was your biggest takeaway? Remember that you are not alone on the sacred path, and women are rising now together. You can visit my website, sarahpoet.com, for more tools and inspiration to support your sacred remembering path. Please be sure to check the show notes, subscribe to this podcast, share with a friend, and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I love to hear from you. Stay connected, and here's to your path of sacred remembering.